Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio. Your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Thursday, April 27th. And we start with local news. The Murray County Public School Board voted down the establishment of an American Classical Academy charter school in Murray County on Tuesday at a special called meeting due to academic and operational deficiencies in the application. The board voted five to six, disapproving the charter school that would seek to enroll 320 children in a K through five school free of tuition, but drawing from state public school funds. The five board members who voted in favor of the charter school application include Kristen Scholl, Laura Nutt, Steve McGee, Jackson Carter, and board chairman Michael Fulbright, who made the motion to approve the charter. The six board members who voted against the application are Jamila Brown, Will Sims, Betty Kinzer, Marlena Irvin, Austin Hooper, and Wayne Lindsay. However, the fate of the charter school is not finished in Murray County. ACA has the opportunity to revise the deficiencies and submit an amended application based on feedback from the review committee and the board within 30 days for another review. The review committee would then have 60 days to review the amended application, which would again be reviewed in June and July. Nutt and Lindsay served on the 11-member review committee comprised of principals, assistant principals, two school board members, community members, and Superintendent Lisa Ventura, who evaluated the 500-plus page charter school application over the past several months. Ventura reviewed the scoring rubric before the board following an hour-long public comment segment, explaining that due to the significant deficiencies in the application, the committee recommends disapproval of the ACA Charter School. I want to remind school board members of just a few things. First thing is whether the people in this room define a charter school as a public school or not is not what I'm here to debate. However, the rubric that is used to score the charter school application, the review team is put together and obligated to use that rubric. We do not go beyond that rubric in the recommendations, Ventura said. At no time in this application does the review team look at the cost of the school. That is your job, she said. During public comments, locally elected leaders Representative Scott Sapicki and Murray County Mayor Sheila Butt, whose comments were shared by a letter read aloud by a constituent, expressed support of the charter school, favoring parent choice and giving students more opportunities to achieve. Representative Sipiki said because the school district will receive $17 million more funds next fiscal year to the new TISA or TISA funding, replacing the former basic education program state formula, now could be the time to embrace a charter. I've studied this charter school issue in Shelby and Davidson and across Tennessee and seen a great many success stories, Sipiki said, reaching 11% higher scores than the public district. We should be deciding whether a charter school provides opportunities for students, he said. High school teachers that I talked to explained that students coming up from middle school are two or three grade levels behind. Their opportunities are next to nothing. Our state corrections department uses the third grade literacy scores to determine how many beds we need in our prisons, Sapicki said. Twelve constituents spoke six for and six against the charter school. 
Proponents explained their support in giving parents the right to choose the education best for their children, while offering an alternative to Murray County Public Schools' record of underperformance, scoring just over 30% in reading and math proficiency among students in grades 3 through 8. Those in opposition, including some parents and current and past educators, cited the significant loss of public education dollars Murray County Public Schools could face. The per-pupil expenditure in Murray County is $9,744, according to the 2021-2022 state report card, which is approximately the amount the state, county, and federal funding that could follow up to 320 students if the charter were approved potentially funding, funneling over $3.1 million into the charter. Constituent Diane Davis, who is against the charter school, questioned its feasibility and funding. It is not okay to give this priority funding when we need to fund teacher salaries, learning disabilities and applications that support our students, transportation, and basic items in the school budget, Davis said. Where would the school system cut the budget to afford a charter school, she asked. Davis asked whether more tax increases would be proposed each year to make up the cost. She also pointed out that Murray County Public Schools closes schools in minority neighborhoods while opening and funding new ones in other parts of the county. We are closing schools in minority neighborhoods, yet we continue to fully fund unit schools that exist with private school level enrollment. Yet, we did not have the money to repair McDowell School. How do we now have money to funnel to a public charter school? She asked. Opponents also raised concerns over the lack of transportation, including no buses provided during the school's first year, which would eliminate many underserved families from choosing to attend the charter school. Upholding a diverse student population also became an area of concern, raising questions about how the school would choose a location in the county to draw from all populations of students. The committee's main analysis of the application determined that the ACA application did not fully meet state academic standards, according to Ventura, who summarized the results of a 37-page state-devised scoring rubric. Among three qualifying categories of academic, operational, and financial feasibility, ratings were scored as meets or exceeds standards, partially meets standard, or does not meet standards. The review committee gave ACA a score of does not meet standards in multiple categories related to academic standards, citing concerns that the charter has not yet completed an alignment of state academic standards or laid out specific ways the school would serve students with disabilities. Other concerns included a lack of transportation and not yet securing vendors for school lunch or janitorial staff. The committee report showed concerns related to implementing the state's response to intervention framework that provides academic interventions to struggling students. The committee also wrote that ACA's grading scale does not match state board policy. Ending the application, the board notes that it's concerned that American Classical Education, which formed a year ago, does not have any operational charter schools at this time. American Classical Academy, a branch of American Classical Education affiliated with Hillsdale College, submitted a 500-page application to five school districts across Middle Tennessee in Jackson, Murray, Montgomery, Robertson, and Rutherford counties. On Monday, Robertson County Schools disapproved the charter application, while on Tuesday, Clarksville-Montgomery School System also disapproved the charter. However, the Rutherford County Board of Education approved the charter school on Tuesday evening. Murfreesboro, Clarksville, and Jackson previously denied ACE charter applications in July. However, the school reemerged late last year, filing an application across the five counties. 
American classical education K-12 curriculum was developed through the work of Hillsdale College and with contributions from Hillsdale's member schools, according to its education website. According to ACA, applications curriculum would support mastery of Tennessee state standards through systematic phonics instruction, Singapore math, a focus on American history, civics, government, the use of the Socratic method, and the study of Latin beginning in the sixth grade, for example, as well as a focus on the arts and athletics. Yesterday, TriStar Bank of Mount Pleasant opened their doors with a ribbon-cutting ceremony. WKOMWKRM's Delk Kennedy attended the grand opening and spoke to Michael Franks, president of TriStar Bank. This is Delk Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. This morning I'm in Mount Pleasant, downtown historic Mount Pleasant, on Haylong Avenue. I'm at the grand opening and ribbon cutting of the new Mount Pleasant branch of TriStar Bank, your community bank, they call themselves, and indeed they are. I'm speaking with Michael Franks, president of TriStar Bank, Murray County. Michael, congratulations on this new location. Thank you, Delk. We're proud to be here, proud for this opportunity. Okay, what will you offer here in Mount Pleasant? Uh, Full-service banking, drive-through. We'll have another site uh, on the north end of town in front of Williams Funeral Home at the old ATM site. We're bringing that back to life uh, next week. So we should have, so we'll ultimately have two locations with an ATM there and a full-service branch here on Haylong, 112 Haylong. And, of course, you've got other locations, your main office in Murray County being in Columbia. Countywide, what does TriStar offer? Countywide, full commercial banking, retail banking, mortgage uh, services, uh, really all around full service. So all that can be accessed here in Mount Pleasant? Yes, yes. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, Michael, you know, for more information, of course, people can always drop by, but uh, is there a website? Yes, www.tristar.bank, T-R-I-S-T-A-R.bank. There we go. Again, Delk Kennedy, Front Porch Radio in downtown Mount Pleasant, Haylong Avenue, grand opening and ribbon cutting for the Mount Pleasant branch of TriStar Bank, talking with Michael Franks, president of TriStar Bank, Murray County. Again, congratulations. Thank you, Delk. We're proud. There we go. Of the many needs being addressed through various Spring Hill proposals, one currently making its way through the planning process hopes to provide necessary services for children with special needs. The Municipal Planning Commission is currently reviewing site plans for a new autism behavior clinic, which would be located off NASDAQ Street. Plans for the center was first introduced in March, but were deferred at the request of applicant SEC Incorporated due to a need for updates to the overall plan and presentation. An update site plan was presented this week during the Planning Commission's Monday work session meeting. The proposed medical office will be approximately 5,433 square feet in size and 16 feet tall, with portions of the facade reaching 20 feet. Though the current site plans would require additional updates, such as fencing around a proposed play area, landscaping details, and various building materials to be used, Associate Planner Jake McQueen recommends the Planning Commission approve the request as long as the applicant meets the deadline for any additional changes. Staff would recommend approval of the request, and like always, staff has always provided all of the items to be revised prior to the revision number 2 deadline on May 1st, McQueen said. Since Monday's meeting was only a work session, no votes were taken. The item will go before the vote during the Planning Commission's May 8th regular meeting. 
After a long community battle since last fall, Governor Bill Lee put his final stamp of approval Wednesday on legislation that would expand the Duck River's Class II Pastoral River designation from Murray County to the Hickman County line. Efforts to ensure the bill's passage included over 2,000 Murray County constituents writing letters to the House Natural Resources Committee and over 100 constituents attending legislative meetings in Nashville several times to speak in favor of the bill. The push culminated last month when the House Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee approved House Bill 0447 that will extend river protections. Representative Scott Sapicki led the charge as sponsor of the bill in the House, while Senator Joey Hensley sponsored the companion bill in the Senate, and Representative Kip Capley also supported the bill. Representative Sapicki advocated to keep drinking water uncontaminated and for the river to be used for recreational use as one of the most biodiverse rivers in the world. I've never seen such widespread support from constituents on a bill, Sapicki said. Preservationists, business leaders, local farmers, elected leaders, and constituents from Murray County banded together in support of protecting the river, leading to the bipartisan support of the legislation. Seventh-generation farmer Sam Kennedy III, whose farm adjoins the Duck River, attended committee meetings and spent weeks speaking with legislators, along with Columbia broker Dan McEwen and other landowners. Representative Justin Jones, a Democrat from Nashville, a member of the House Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee, even visited the Duck River in Murray County ahead of the bill's passage, spending hours along its banks. As a result of the groundswell of community support and interest in preserving the Duck River, grassroots group Save the Duck formed, now in the process of becoming a 501c3 nonprofit. Preservationist and advocate Gail Moore, a Columbia resident who will serve on the Save the Duck board, said that she is pleased and relieved that the bill passed. I am grateful for the bipartisan support in the passage of the bill. Many residents spent days attending the legislative meetings, with the final meeting drawing over 200 supporters, which made a difference, she said. However, the battle is not over. Moore refers to three pending permit applications submitted to the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation by Louisiana-based Trinity Business Group last summer, seeking to develop a solid waste landfill and processing site on over 1,300 acres of the former Monsanto property in Columbia, just miles from the Duck River. The proposal would include a tire processing facility, energy compost processing, energy recovery, metal salvage, and wood waste processing from construction. The pending permits were the catalyst for constituents to take action last fall to protect the river's natural resources, such as fresh water for drinking and recreation, as well as preserving aquatic life. The Duck River is one of the most biodiverse rivers in the world, containing an array of rare species of fish. Moore helped to organize a community meeting in October to raise awareness about the landfill proposal. The meeting drew dozens of constituents, leaders from TDEC, and locally elected officials. Murray leaders and supporters of Save the Duck believe that the new legislation will thwart landfill development, but as an added measure, the Murray County Commission voted late last year to approve a state statute dubbed the Jackson Law that would prohibit the formation of landfills without the approval of local city councils and county commissions. In addition, the newly appointed Murray-Marshall Solid Waste Regional Planning Board also voted earlier this month to deny Trinity Business Group's development of landfill operations at the old Monsanto property during a meeting at Henry Horton State Park, located in Chapel Hill. We hopped yet another hurdle yesterday, thanks in part to your emails, presentations, letters, 
postcards, hands, handouts in mailboxes, recorded calls, video downloads, and presents at meetings. Moore wrote to supporters after the Waste Board's April 10th vote, Thank you all for letting the board know the will of the people, she said. During the legislative session, Trinity Business Group Legal Counsel alluded to launching a lawsuit if the landfill development was blocked. In the meantime, Trinity Business Group's three original permits are still labeled as pending in the TDEC website. And now your hometown memorial sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Frida Maureen Gilbert Stoltz Dozier, 88, a homemaker, died Monday, April 24th at her residence in Columbia. Funeral services will be conducted on Thursday at 2.30 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Thursday from 12 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Betty Jean Worley Malugin, 90, Key punch operator for CPS in Franklin died Wednesday, April 26th at Magnolia Healthcare. A graveside service for Mrs. Malugin will be conducted on Tuesday at 2 p.m. at Pleasant Mount Cemetery. Oaks and Nichols funeral directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help, gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer, and why your satisfaction is so important to Jeff Hargrove and Susie Sowell. There's a great deal of satisfaction in serving a family and serving them well. It's an eye for detail and thoughtfulness and taking the time to see that things are done right. We do have nice facilities and good people and we work hard to do things well, but we don't want that to intimidate people as to what they think it will cost. Taking care of you is our primary concern. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have periods of rain today with a high of 63 degrees. Winds will be out of the east-southeast at 5 to 10 miles per hour. The chance of rain today, 80%, with rainfall near a quarter of an inch. Tonight, we can expect thunderstorms early, then a chance of scattered thunderstorms overnight. The low will be 58 degrees with light and variable winds. The chance of overnight rain, 80%. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance... 
Our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see shelter agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Tint on Wheels is changing their Columbia location. You can now visit us at 406 South James Campbell Boulevard. The same window tinting you've trusted for over 30 years on all types of windows, car, business, or residential. We now offer accessories to elevate your ride. It's only getting bigger and better. With three locations, Columbia, Lewisburg, and Lawrenceburg. We do our best for you. Summer's coming. Let's get you ready. Call 931-619-TINT today. Coach, baseball is back, and WKRM 103.7 is excited to bring you coverage and sponsorship options for this 2023 season. That's right, Taff, and this year our advertising partners had the option to sponsor our live Little League coverage, Atlanta Braves coverage, or a combo package that carry both of them. This area loves baseball, and what a great way to support the community by helping us bring coverage of our Little League, but also taking a moment to promote local businesses. People are crazy about the Atlanta Braves. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's something special and timeless about baseball radio broadcast. There sure is. So visit Front Porch Radio TN and click on the blue Advertise With Us button for more information about how your company can sponsor baseball of all kinds this season with WKRM. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Nashville cemented a historic $2.1 billion agreement to build a new and closed stadium for the Tennessee Titans on largely underdeveloped metro land along the east bank of the Cumberland River. The deal is the largest in Nashville's history and includes at least $1.26 billion in public funding, making it the largest public subsidy for a stadium 
in United States history. Nashville's council signed off on the agreement with a 26-12 final vote early Wednesday morning after an impassioned five-hour public hearing in which nearly 70% of the speakers opposed the deal. A motion to reconsider the vote was determined out of order by a majority of council members after considerable confusion over parliamentary rules. The council also approved a resolution 26 to 8 with three abstentions, creating the Nashville Needs Impact Fund, which the team has agreed to contribute $48 million to over the duration of the lease. The fund can be used to support metro departments and non-government entities in efforts to support public education, public transit, affordable housing, cultural and artistic promotion, historic preservation, environmental sustainability, gender equity in youth sports and diversity, equity and inclusion. It can also be used to support professional women's sports infrastructure, marketing and recruitment. Council member Angie Henderson, who voted against the deal and abstained from voting on the resolution, said she did not appreciate how the fund has been used as some tool in the community for people to feel that they are somehow a part of or beneficiaries of this stadium when it's just token gestures, she said. We should be ashamed of ourselves, Henderson concluded. The idea of building a new enclosed Titan Stadium in lieu of renovating Nissan Stadium has polarized Nashville politicians and residents alike since it was first floated to the public in February of 2022. At-large council member Zulfat Suara said she understood the complaints of those who spoke in opposition to the bill, but she voted in favor because she prefers tourists to bear the tax burden of stadium construction and upkeep through sales, ticket, and hotel taxes instead of Davidson County taxpayers. The new 60,000-seat, 1.7-million-square-foot stadium will be perched on 15 acres of metro-owned land near the interstate, bracketed by 20 acres of stadium campus called the Stadium Village, according to deal documents. A public park that could serve as a tailgate alternative on game days is planned to stretch from the facility to the riverbank. The new plans have 5,000 fewer parking spots than Nissan Stadium currently offers. The council advanced the deal to its final reading in a 25-11 to 11 vote last week with a handful of changes supported by Cooper's administration and the team, rejecting several other changes that sought to insulate the council's future decision-making power on stadium matters in the case of state intervention. About two dozen council members appeared to vote in line with a list of preferred amendment outcomes provided to members by lobbyists supporting the deal. The new stadium's multi-billion dollar price tag will be split by the city, the state, and the team. The Titans will contribute $840 million in private financing, including roughly $200 million in NFL loans and yet-to-be-estimated revenue from personal seat license sales. Recent PSL revenue average for new stadiums has topped $500 million, according to a market analysis from a consulting firm hired by Metro. The state of Tennessee will contribute $500 million in bonds alongside $760 million in revenue bonds from Nashville Sports Authority. Those bonds will be paid using diverted sales tax in and around the stadium, as well as a 1% hotel tax increase that could bring in upwards of $10 million each year. Leftover revenue from diverted sales and ticket taxes and ticket fees from non-NFL events, estimated to approach $3 billion over the duration of the 30-year lease, will be devoted to early bond repayment and ongoing stadium maintenance and upgrades. 
An estimated $120 million will be funneled to Nashville's general fund over three decades from a 3% ticket fee, a diluted version of an earlier council-driven change that would have upped the fee 1% annually until it reached 10%. These fees not only apply to CMA events, ACM events, the Grammy Awards, WWE events, college events, and high school sporting events. Any maintenance or upgrades not covered by the aforementioned revenue sources will fall to the Titans. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. Turner and Osborne Tire Company, 1016 South Main Street in Columbia. Give them a call at 931-388-6822. They've been doing business since 1947 and in their current location since 1964. They provide the best tire and mechanical work at some of the best prices in Middle Tennessee. Hey, they're official Michelin and Goodyear dealers, and they've got all kinds of brands as well. Stop by and see Walker Vining and his professional staff, or check them out online at turnerandosborne.com. That's turnerandosborne.com. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. The Columbia Police Department welcomed nine new officers on April 21st. Assistant City Manager and City Recorder Thad Jablonski swore in the new officers during a ceremony hosted at the Columbia Police Department. These new officers have begun in-house training and will be attending the Tennessee Law Enforcement Training Academy later this year. Columbia Police Department is welcoming their newest additions, Officers Jason Cefali, Robert Frederick, Nicholas Ivanoff, Timothy Leith, Robert McKeon, Robert Shutt, Joshua Seltz, Phil Sholene, and Seth White. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM WKRM Radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.